You know, should we should we jump into the show? Well, should we jump in? Intro, Top Chef. <laughs> you don't have your sound effects there. All right, let me, Merlin. I got, I have a question for you. Let me ask you this before we get. So this is a pre. This is something I had on my on my big topics list for uh, Top I Chef. Love our big topics list. This is, our, our big topics list is like all I want to talk about now. It's good stuff. Uh, yeah. I haven't shared this one with you. So okay. this is pre before. This is before we get into the Top Chef show. Um, but, uh, so here's my question. So I've been thinking a lot about, um, how people, how the contestants on the show react to being on camera, react to the celebrity, like react to meeting Tom. Um, you know, like, I think that's, uh, I think that's a big piece of how people kind of go a little bit crazy on these shows. And, uh, it occurred to me as I was thinking about like, oh, this is going to be an interesting thing to talk to Merlin about that you and I actually have a little bit of this dynamic because I have, in my life, I have listened to you ha have conversations with people for, pr well, let's say certainly over 100 hours, but maybe many hundred hours. And we've, ta I mean, we've talked a little bit, but, but you don't have that same relationship with me. Well, I mean, that's not entirely true, but I, I absolutely know the dynamic you're talking about, and I have 100% experienced it both ways uh, many times. I'm I guess happy to say. I mean, on the one hand, so so let's talk about just quickly how they do it on this show. On this show, our top dress, it usually goes something like this. You're talking about like when a celebrity comes in, like um, yeah, or even like, or um, even seeing even when Tom walks into the room, the way that it has there's an the effect. reaction shots, yeah, yeah, or like the oh, Padma, she looks so pretty, yeah, and like all that kind of stuff, yeah, or like oh, look at Heidi, and you know, there's that's part of the dynamic, but that's also part of the narrative is, you know, you think about any the, uh, the most pure version of this is a mystery or a whodunit, a thriller, where a very cannily crafted thriller gives you just enough information to feel like you're thinking faster than the person who wrote it. You should never feel like, wait a minute, what? Like, I didn't even know that guy was in the house that night. Like, you never want to be, like, on Law & Order going, like, what? Leif Garrett, who's he? Like, in this case, they have to have the excitement that you go, oh, I wonder who that is. And then they say, and then here is, uh, what's the guy? Like, you know, in this case, uh, Andre... Andre Torres? No, that's my friend at Slack. No, what's the guy's name? Uh, Jose Andres, mm -hmm. who has, who has uh, three accents, two of which are in his name. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jose Andres comes out, and then they got to go, oh, Jose Andres, you know. He, and then, of course, they do the, uh, the caption, basically, to go, Jose Andres is one of the most uh, eco-conscious chefs in America. And then you got to show all those reaction shots. Uh, in real life, uh, no, I absolutely feel that. I, I mean, I feel that when I... Obviously, like when you're a kid and you meet somebody that you know, and there's an incredibly disproportionate relationship where you feel like that person is your best friend and they don't know who you are. That's a very, that's a strange experience. Do you, do you meet people? I imagine you must run into people in your life who have like heard you on a lot of podcasts and they sort of assume that relationship with you that, that may or may not exist. Well, yeah. And it's, I mean, on the one hand, it's really flattering, but it's, and it's also, it's impossible to explain to my family um, because it should be impossible. It's really weird. And it's, it's a very new kind of idea to be um, improbably famous uh, amongst fewer than 10,000 people. But like, I'm really super, <laughs> like there's 1500 people that know everything I've ever done, which is really, it's super interesting, but it's kind of weird to meet somebody for the first time and go, oh, hi, my name is Merlin. Nice to meet you. And they go, oh yeah. And this and this and that. And one time I was in Sarasota and I saw the school, you went there. It's like, whoa. Because, like, I don't know that about you. Like, what's right. your funny internet name? I might have seen you somewhere, you know? I, uh, this, when I, the first time I went to, a, like, a gaming convention and we were sitting and signing stuff and we had fans who would come up to us for, for Cards Against Humanity and they wanted us to sign something. Like, this was, they had that relationship with me of, like, they read, read all our blog posts and they knew all the stuff we did and I didn't know these people. And I was really 
I, I mean, my skin was crawling. Like, I, I'm not really, like, equipped with sort of the people skills to navigate that kind of social relationship. And it was, I mean, I was, it was very emotional for me because I felt like I was letting these people down. Like, it meant something to them to have this experience with me that I couldn't provide. And I got this great piece of advice from uh, uh, the late uh, Ryan Davis, who was, uh, he was sort of a, a video game personality um, who was sort of known for, like, he had this, like, unbelievable rapport with fans. Like, I mean people would come up to him and they felt like they had known him for their whole life and he would throw his arm around them and they'd feel like they were hanging out with their best friend. And I was like, Ryan, how do you do this? Like, how do you like zone in on someone and, and give them that experience? And he was like, uh, first thing, ask them what their name is. Because when someone comes up to you, they often forget that, that it sort of reminds them that like they're a person too and that you mm -hmm. and you're a whole person. You don't have all the information they have. Um, and that was a very, that's just like a little practical piece of advice that really, that I found like, totally sets the tone when someone comes up to talk to me. I'm like, hang on a second. What's your name? Where are you from? And then it sort of grounds the conversation and like we're meeting each other. Yeah. And I mean, I think this, uh, I hope this doesn't sound too douchey because I think it is just about life. This is true of, of anybody is the problem is like when, when you first become the first time you put site meter on your site and realize one person has looked at something you did, you instantly feel like a celebrity because now a stranger has learned about you. So, I mean, there are two, um, I don't know if they're complimentary or conflicting things. One is like, never assume that you're famous because you're not. I mean, you know, Abraham Lincoln is famous. You're not famous. You're just the guy who got lucky on the internet, right? So, I mean, like, don't, don't get weird about that. But on the other hand, up to a point, let the other person guide it. Because if they want to talk about a thing you do or say, what's it really like to do this or that? Like, I think that's a really gracious thing to do. But you do, like you would with any stranger, you also have to have, you know, lines. Like if, if, if somebody, sometimes like an, like an old person on the bus really wants to talk to my kid, which is fine for a little while. But like we can't do that all like for an hour because <laughs> then that's kind of weird. That's not going to scale. Yeah, but you know, it's it's you know, it's 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 a, it comes from a good impulse, which is wanting to make connections with other people. And you know, I think it's important to be as gracious as you can uh, with people both ways. So it's the same way that like you know, if I go see somebody and you know, I see somebody famous at a restaurant or something, I'm not going to bother them while they're eating. You know, that's 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 kind of weird. But yeah, I'm not sure what this has to do with Top Chef. You want to hear my story about meeting uh, Richard Blaze? Yes. Uh, so. <laughs> So uh, last year, I feel like I brought a knife to a gunfight. All I got to fucking go. <laughs> so last year, uh, I'm not going to after that conversation, I'm not getting out of this uh, story uh, looking great. But I was hanging out with so I wound up with um, uh, a couple of cartoonists. So uh, Matt Inman, who draws the cartoon, uh, the oatmeal mm -hmm. and Ali Brosh, who draws a uh, hyperbole and a half. And we were walking around looking for like a place to have dinner, and I and uh, we stumbled into a restaurant, and I did not know this at the time, but as we were like sitting down and ordering and looking at the menu, I realized it was like Chef Richard Blaze on the top, and I was like broken into a sweat. I was like, oh, oh my, like this is a real for celebrity. real, yeah, it's like really happening. Like I'm at a Richard Blaze restaurant. This is in San Diego, so I thought he was like an Atlanta guy, but I guess he he has um, a uh, restaurant there. It's called I think it was called like Juniper and Ivy or something like that. And we, uh, the, the waitress came out, and I was like, is Chef Blaze here? And she was like, yes. And then we ordered. And then at a certain point, um, sh uh, the waitress was like, uh, did you want to meet Chef, Chef Blaze? Like, like, he wanted to come out and talk to you. And I started to feel cool because I was like, maybe someone in the restaurant, you know, someone who was there for Comic-Con. Nobody knows who I am, but I was like, maybe they recognize Matt and Allie because they've, like, written books, and they've been on TV a little bit. So I was like, they're, they have some actual you know, celebrity, like, cred, and I was like, maybe Richard Blaze is, like, wants to come meet them, and I was like, 
yes. I was like, they should come meet my famous friends, Matt and Allie, and I will uh, stand in the picture as well. Matt's, Matt's pretty famous now. Yeah. So it's re- some real celebrity uh, heat is happening. And uh, so a few minutes later, Richard Blaze comes out, uh, takes a picture with us. I was like, I tried to, I was trying to come up with something to say to him to be like, hey, we're, we're cool. Like, we, we can we can hang out, I, which, of course, I had nothing. I didn't even, you know, it was like, even now, I think I might be like, hey, I uh, do a podcast about Top Chef. Uh, which is the best I, which is the best <laughs> I have, right. which is not, Ladies. yeah, <laughs> which is not very good, admittedly. That's not but, super cool. But I was like, but I started to introduce Matt and Allie. It was very clear. It was immediately clear he had no idea who any of us were, and he was just happy that someone in the kitchen like asked about him, and he came out to uh, shake our hands and take a picture. I think that's. I think that is. I think that is. That is. That is lovely. Yeah. Did I ever, have you ever heard me tell my uh, my Tom Hulse story? No. It's a very fast story. I used to have, actually have a website. You can still find it probably on archive.org. The first thing I ever got the tiniest micro uh, recognition for, meaning like 10 people read it. I think it was a Yahoo cool site of the day at one point. It's called The Celebrity, <laughs> oh my God. It's called the Celebrity Chronicle. And it was just uh, people uh, sending anecdotes of meeting celebrities. It was totally unvetted. And it mainly started with me telling my stories. But to me, this is the canonical meeting a celebrity experience and it's completely guided all of my experiences since, which is this. Uh, I, my girlfriend at the time and I were coming back from New York uh, on a plane and going to Florida. This is 1989. And Tom Hulse is totally on the plane. The guy from Amadeus is on the plane looking really scruffy, like super duper scruffy. I now realize in retrospect, he was probably going to shoot Parenthood. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's on the plane. He's in first class. And I was like, oh, you know, I can't bug that guy. But I, you know, I loved Amadeus. You know, I was, uh, I, but anyway, as it happened, we land in Orlando. And uh, I go to the men's room. And uh, completely by accident, I swear to God, I am literally urinating right next to Tom Hulse. He doesn't know who I am. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a kid in college. So I go, uh, if you imagine me standing here, you know, hold my dick. And I, and I, I turn to him and I just kind of give him one of these. Hmm. I just kind of, you see my head? I'm just going, hmm. And he looks back at me and he goes, hmm. And there's a pause. And I go, uh, I enjoy your work. <laughs> and he said, thanks. And I left my hand, washed my hands and left. That was it. I enjoy your work. That's all you need to say. You walk up to somebody. They know who they are. And you don't need to tell them you have a wiki about them. Just walk up and say, you know what? I really enjoy your work. And at that point, if they want to finish urinating and engage with you, they will. But I enjoy your work, I think, is all you need to say to somebody. And, uh, and then you just walk away. This week, uh, this week they go to Palm Springs. They get to Palm Springs, and the challenge is uh, they go out in some uh, branded RVs. I think you're talking about the. Are you talking, about, are you talking specifically about the Desert Adventures Eco Tours? Thank you. The desert. They go on the Desert Adventures Eco Tours. Uh, well, what are, they're not RVs. No, what is that? The little Jurassic Park No, they Park get in cars. a jeep and it drives them somewhere. The jeep. Thank you. They go in the jeep and the jeep drives them out uh, into the middle of the desert. So, and which I've been to this desert. It's a cool desert. It's one of the top deserts I've ever been to. It's very deserty. It's like a. It's like a picture of a desert. Mm. Um, yeah. It's it's a it's a it's a it's just like a huge desolate place that you don't want to be i was only i've only been there once uh and as i said i did pass out at the airport but i just remember <laughs> it being improbably hot and improbably dry yeah except at night when it's freezing cold so weird yeah um but but like now joshua tree national park is right nearby and that's gorgeous i mean that's like an unbelievable there's lots of green and plants in these crazy mountains but a lot of the surrounding desert it's like where they're filming top chef I mean, it's very just like barren Mad Max wasteland. Like, uh, it kind of kind of freaks you out a little bit, almost uh, just the size of it. 
Um, so anyway, their task is to cook uh, a dish using they, these like they meet uh, they meet Jose Andres, the right. uh, the Spanish chef who is very interested in. It sounds like he, at least according to the 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 puff piece on the show, that he's very interested in finding ways to help people in. I think in one case he mentioned in Haiti, mm-hmm. like where they may not have access uh, to electricity or gas now, he, to be able to cook. Is he? Can you confirm that he's a Spanish chef? Because it seemed to me that his ethnicity changed depending on whatever genre of food he was wanted to be an expert in in that moment. Yeah, he knows a Vera. Was it a Veracruz versus a Pudinesco? Okay. Yeah, I don't know, but it says here. Uh, oh my goodness, he has so many accents. Jose Ramon Andres Puerta, Spanish American chef, credit for bringing. Oh, so he's the tapas guy. Blame him. Okay. That was his idea. Small okay. plates. Okay. Or 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 plates smallos, as they say in in, in Plato's <laughs> smallos. Um. So and he's invented, or I don't know, partnered with these this sort of like um, uh, Archimedean like sun ray oven. You're talking about the GoSun company. <laughs> is, that, is that the is that the brand? GoSun stove. It's fast, portable, and a practical uh, so solar cooker. That's the one. Yeah. Uh, there can be no other. And uh, so these are there's sort of two models. There's a um, a big sort of disc that collects sunlight and f- funnels it into um, like a like a cooker for a pan. And there's a sort of this tube that ta- that that you have to angle towards the sun, and then it right. has this like glass um, tube that goes inside of it, and it sort of heats that tube up l- like an oven. And uh, I watched this episode uh, with my uh, special lady friend Veronica, who's a chemist. And um, let's see, one of these chefs, who if I can refer to our handy-dandy guide here, who am I looking for here? Giselle. Giselle, cast as Talkie. Uh, She puts a bunch of liquid in her stove, and uh, Veronica took one look at that and was like, that's going to explode. And I was like, I'm sure they taught them how to use the stoves. Uh, And then 30 seconds later, it explodes. She, She got lucky. That thing shattered. Yeah. It was yeah. A, it was sort of an explosive decompression. Well, yeah, and so so yeah, so there is is a couple of interesting things. I mean, I, I went and lo- my kid and I were just watching this again today and uh in prep for the show for my work. And I went and looked it up and you know what? They're not quite as expensive as I would have guessed. You know, you can just pay like 300 bucks for one of these things. Well, so tell me, I'm curious what you, <laughs> if you had this feeling, but I was when I was watching this episode and they were starting to play with these and I was watching how the food was cooking on them, there was the part of my brain was like, "Oh, I I need one of these." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I mean I, I actually one of my questions for you was I was wondering which if you could pick. So what do they call it? There is the want to get my parlance right. An oven is an overall thing. So there's this So the stove is the overall thing. The oven is the glass tube and then the range, what I would call the range I guess is like a parabolic disc that focuses the sun on your frying pan. Yes. Which one would you if you had your druthers, which one would you cook with? Now, I have seen the uh I'm pretty sure it was like a 2004 Mythbusters episode called the uh, Archimedes Death Ray. Mm. Have you seen that? Is this where Archimedes uh d- designed a bunch of mirrors to uh, blow people up? That's exactly it. So it's basically like if you take a lot of surface area of sunlight, just a normal sunlight on a bright day, and you focus it down into one point, it is terrifyingly powerful. Like, it will cut through metal. Like, they showed it boiling, uh, bringing steel to a boiling point, um, setting ships on fire. And I guess there's, I don't know if this is a myth or if it's real, but the idea is that Archimedes designed this thing and uh, blew up a bunch of Roman ships with it while they were still well, there was at a, sea. There was a probably urban myth going around for a while. I, I, I've experienced being across the street from a mirrored building, and it is really challenging. But supposedly there was a thing going around for a while that like one of these buildings had melted a car. 
I don't know if it's true. That's delightful. Um, but anyway, but I'm a big fan of that, and I always... Th- oh, and the crazy thing is, so you can watch this insanely hot beam of sunlight melt steel, and then you can just bring your hand right up to it and pass your hand through it, because it's, you what? know... Yeah, it's not like a flame. It's like a gradual, it like increases heat over time. So if you just sort of wave your hand through it, it doesn't... Uh, it do- you can just put your hand right through it. It doesn't really have any effect. Wow, that's yeah. weird. It's, 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 only, it's only at the point where all... Where the Whatever the parabola, where all the points meet to make the super like ant killing death ray. Right, and then only over time does that add a lot of heat. It's like sous vide for melting a car. Yeah, <laughs> it's a car a car vide. Car vide. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, but that's my pick because I I'm I think that thing is I think that's cool and it seemed like those chefs got better results. It seemed like they were able to like really get a sear on stuff and and uh, yeah. make some pretty attractive looking food. Yeah, to me the I mean you know it, it's they. Uh, I'm trying to think. Did they get to pick, or was it random? I think they were assigned because I remember people being pretty bummed that they didn't get the, the one the, they wanted. Yeah, I mean, I, I would get the one where you just put a frying pan up because that right. takes all of the other factors out. I mean, and, and I have to say, so in this show, this is the challenge, and they've got to. What were the other constraints? The constraints were you had to use this solar thing. You had 30 minutes. Were there any other constraints? They didn't talk too much about where the ingredients came from, but they had a pretty wild range of ingredients they could use. But, like, for example, Cajun Man, like, he made freaking cornbread in a solar oven. Yeah. That was so, pretty amazing. Some people had very impressive dishes. I actually thought, um, so I thought Giselle's dish that exploded was, I, I, I don't know, it, it was a soup, so I don't know. It well, I think like it, it was, like, couscous. Oh, I thought it was, like, a stew or something weird. But oh. then she, but th- yeah, it may have been a couscous. I can't remember. But then she salvaged it after it exploded. They had, like, a backup oven, and she made something that looked awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, you know, yeah, being able to survive after that. But then, <laughs> then you got Philip. Yes. And Philip, man, buddy, Philip is still swinging for the fences with every challenge. He's he's still I, I mean, in some ways I'm starting to like Philip because he's trying like he's he's obviously he's very colorful. They're casting him as very colorful, but he's trying some unusual things. Do you, do you want to say it or do I? This is like well, the, it starts the, the it starts phrase. out with, with some fun. Yeah, yeah, this is the ca- big catchphrase. No, but it starts out with some of this, what I will describe as doot-de-doot music, which is like doot-de-doot-de-doot-de-doot. <laughs> and there's Philip. He's walking out in the desert. Oh, what's Philip doing now? <laughs> and Philip is going out because he wants to gather some rocks. For what reason, we don't know yet. But Philip decided as part of his larger brand that whatever food he serves, <laughs> he wants it to be on a lightly cleaned desert rock. <laughs> And so he makes, I think it was a mushroom with <laughs> a fucking oyster on it. <laughs> a raw oyster. And I mean, you look at it. So just imagine your head. Imagine some some very dark, dirty rock with with what looks like 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 somebody basically sliced up a big dog poop and then put an oyster. <laughs> and in, what was in a hundred and thirty degree heat? Mm, refreshing. And then he pulls out. He produces the thing that he had supposedly put them in with ice. And what was Padma's pronouncement of this? Oh, you 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 do it. You it's take not it. on a rock. It looked like. St- <laughs> and it did. It's like oh, you know, out in the desert. You know what I'd really love. <laughs> I'd love some highly perishable oysters on a rock. I I I could already feel myself dry heaving after I ate that. <laughs> I know, Just I a know. Bad sun baked 
oyster in the middle of the desert. Well, I don't want to take us on a, on a tangent except to just mention it is interesting also how success and failure in some cases with this one went with, obviously as ever, what you could do in this and the elimination, what you could do with the ingredients given the constraints, which were kind of extreme, but also what you did with temperature in this environment ended up being very, very important. And, you know, obviously that had a huge uh, influence on who ended up winning uh, in the uh, elimination challenge. But another, there was some pretty impressive stuff. I mean, if I'd never seen that lightsaber cooker oven thing, I mean, I would have no idea. They must have trained them on it to some extent to be like, okay, you can expect this to be about 350. You know, you know you've got half an hour. Choose accordingly. Didn't what's, what's his name got some uh, croutons out of it? It was pretty cool. Yeah, was that Wesley? I th was that Wesley? I think he that won. Was I want to say Amar? Amar, okay. Oh and man, Wesley we killed it. What was Wesley's dish? It was really cool. That's what I I I was just trying to look up. I'm trying to like scrub through the episode to see what Wesley makes. But I also love that Wesley was like, uh, I don't want to be messy Wesley in this challenge. And I which was is what like, we were calling him, poor Wesley. Yeah, he made Wesley. um uh, shrimp and coconut broth with mushroom. A lot of shrimp this episode. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I, I find myself liking Wesley. Like, I think there was something nice about, um, I, I really liked his, uh, um, his, uh, conversation, uh, with, um, Kwame at the end of last episode. Yeah. And I felt like that maybe in terms of like the editing of the show and also just like his imp performance in the show, I, I wonder if they're almost setting him up for like a comeback story where they're, where they're going to set him up as the oaf and then, uh, he's going to redeem himself. Yeah, I agree. But I mean, you know, no amount of editing... I mean, the thing is, you think about the editing. I think the editing can be used to play up somebody as a major or minor character, to play up, to telegraph things about their future in the narrative. But it seems to me that in some ways, the one thing that would be most difficult to fake, and you can tell when they're exaggerating, the thing that would be most difficult to fake is when somebody made something that is actually good. Like, if it's good, it'll, it'll stand up. It's not like the judges are going to be instructed to say, oh, no, that really sucked because of your narrative. Right. And I get the feeling he is a very gifted guy. You know, in, in a more insane environment, I bet he could whip something up at 11 o'clock that you'd really want to eat. I want him to redeem himself to uh, Richard Blaze. Mm. Oh, because he works at Richard's restaurant. That's right. And that, just that idea of, of embarrassing yourself in front of the one person who it's like, that's the one who counts, you know, that's the person whose opinion counts for me, and you let them down. I mean, I've been there in my life, and that's, that's brutal. Like, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. So I, I, I'm, I, as the, just as like the viewer of the television entertainment version of this, yeah. um, I, want that, I want him to get that redemption. Like, I and want then they, uh, they give him his own GoSun oven, sponsored yeah. by GoSun. <laughs> So, uh, so Max, who's our sponsor this week? Our sponsor this week uh, is our uh, sponsor for every episode of the Top Scallops podcast, and that is our friends at Backblaze. Backblaze is the unlimited, unthrottled online backup service for your Mac or PC. With Backblaze, you can access your data anywhere, and the way it works is really simple. It's just this tiny little app that runs in your system tray, and it silently backs up all of your files and your information. Backblaze was founded by ex-Apple engineers, and they have um, an app that runs native on your Mac or PC, as well as a mobile app uh, for iOS and Android. And uh, they let you, uh, if anything goes wrong, if you lose your any files, if you lose your entire hard drive, you can restore just one file or your entire disk um, using their web restore, using the apps. And uh, my favorite part of this is it just works all the time. You never have to think about it. It doesn't give you a bunch of dialogues. It's not, it's not constantly checking in. It doesn't need a lot of updates. It just goes. It just, you install it on a new computer. You, uh, you set it up, and all of your information is backed up. One of the best parts of Backblaze, there's no add-ons, there's no gimmicks, there's no additional charges, there's no other stuff they're selling. It's just $5 per month per computer for unlimited backup. 
And at Backboys, they are offering a free trial for listeners of the Top Scallops podcast, and that is available at backboys.com slash scallops. I love this. I love this company. I love this product. It is so easy to use, so easy to deal with. And I think about stuff like even like recent iOS apps that I've bought. I like I, if I if, given my druthers, I would like to pay for an app and get the app and have the app. But even apps I love, they're throwing up all these notifications about you know prompting you to do things, and it's all real cute. And it's just a bunch of eels. People are attaching eels to you, and you don't get that with Backblaze. You pay for this thing like a gentleman, and then it just works. And when you need it, it's there. And to me, that's 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 a that's a grand slam, as they say in baseball. I uh, I recently got a new computer, so I have a new uh, got a new MacBook Pro that I'm recording on right now. And I had the old computer, and it's always a dilemma when you have an old computer. Like, if you know, if you make your living on a computer, it's right. kind of emotional and a little bit scary to part with it because it's like, um, you know, especially with the with the ma- the new Retina MacBook Pros, it used to be that you could open it up, you take the hard drive out, you put a new hard drive in, you'd install the operating system, and you're good to go. And then you have a little hard drive with all your data if you ever need it. Well, you can't do that anymore. It's all solid state. It's all uh, uh, I don't know, terraced in there or whatever they do. And uh, there's no taking the hard drive out. So it's a big commitment to get rid of a computer because you're like, I am permanently getting rid of my information. And I'm not going to care about it ever again in the future. And uh, this was, it, 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 w- it was one of those situations where as I was sort of thinking about how do I handle this, am I ready to like wipe this hard drive completely? I was like, oh, of course, I have years of um, Backblaze backups uh, in the cloud. And uh, I had a lot of confidence in just being like, move over everything I can think of that's important, wipe the rest. And if I forgot anything, I'll, I'll get it later. Yeah, totally, totally agreed. It's it's nice. It's nice to know it's there. All right. Well, our thanks to Backblaze for sponsoring the Top Scallops podcast, and uh, I believe we may have a, a special treat for them on the next episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's see. So uh, elimination challenge this episode. Uh, basically, they were split into. So how? Uh, Padma reminds us you can't go to can't go to Palm Springs without playing a round of golf. <laughs> I. There was so much that I did not. I don't even want to. I'm not sure I'm even equipped to explain it. I found this confu- this challenge to be confusing, and I was frustrated by it on nearly every level. I, I, you know what? I mean, I'm not much of a game game person. I know that you are. I think there's something. You know, you said something really smart a couple episodes ago, and I uh, when you talked about like in the mise en place challenge, if there's different items. What was the phrase you used? You had a phrase for this. Like, how do you decide how much of each thing should there be? In other words, what is an equivalent of ma- amount of clams to shell versus an equivalent amount of, you know, uh, prime rib to have to French, clean in French? And I think that's, a, that's that, to me, that reflects how your mind works. To have good gameplay, there has to be some parity. And I think, I mean, I can't speak for you, but I, I'm, I'm not a big game person, but this was really mushy and weird and like kind of weirdly defined and it was mainly like okay here's the joke you have to cook on a golf cart go well and and it's I, like uh, okay all right i i feel like if i'm going to put my my um myself in the shoes of the person who designed this challenge what i think they're thinking is oh well you know <clears throat> this will look great on tv it's like we'll have the contestants out on the golf course and we'll have tom wearing his like plaid pants and his little jaunty cap mm-hmm. and the golfer outfit and they're going to go through and it's going to sort of be this visual sort of funny light visual thing but ultimately like i didn't fully understand the constraints of the challenge and i didn't understand how they were pitted against each other it was a little kind of confusing to me and also like i just get frustrated because it's like it it is not the mark of a great chef to be able to like keep food fresh you know from wilting in 120 degree heat while a, a bunch of celebrities and a camera crew uh saunter their way through a 12 hole golf course like it just feels yeah. 
it's like the worst aspects of Top Chef is like when they take these really talented chefs and you really want to watch them perform at the peak of their abilities and they're like, uh, we're going to blindfold you and you have to uh, cook uh, ingredients out of a vending machine in the galley of the ship as it uh, sways in a <laughs> storm at sea. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's very well put. And it's, it's exactly the kind of challenge that drives me crazy too because it puts the chef testant in a very weird position. And, you know, there's, there's always this implicit thing that's there's always an implicit balance or decision that you have to make is, you know, how do I make something that could win, right? How do I make something that could really distinguish me and could win this? Because you're here to win. You're not here to just stay alive. But on the other hand, how do I also plan something that won't just fall apart and be something easy? Or, you know, you know what I mean? On the one hand, you go, well, do I really want to, like, do baked Alaska on a golf course? That might be hard to pull off. But on the other hand, like, if you do a hot dog, that better be a super interesting hot dog because they're going to think you phoned it in. And so it doesn't really, it's really, it does, it seems like you would seek out stuff that's mostly going to keep you alive rather than something that would be really interesting. Right. Is And that's what get, that's what it got down to is in this challenge, it was ultimately about who, essentially, who could keep their food cold and almost <laughs> nothing right. else mattered, right? Like Gra Grayson ultimately was uh, eliminated because she cooked this corn instead of putting it in fresh and the chefs felt like it would have been better if it was raw it would have been you know more fresh or whatever and uh, where and then the other i think the who was the guy who won the guy who put the ice in the bowls absolutely yeah. but you know just before we get past this though i mean and we're jumping ahead a little bit but you know i don't know if you watched a lot of uh, pro wrestling but it was almost like pro wrestling in the sense that everybody in the arena but the ref saw this guy hit somebody with a chair when his back was turned. And I felt like the entire setup was like, oh, my God, Grayson got wronged. Right. So much so that I almost wonder if they're going to bring her back at some point. Because if she was so obviously the aggrieved party here that Angelina was the one who was kind of responsible for ultimately, don't you think? I mean, wasn't it kind of Angelina's thing? Uh, I, you know, it, it, it sometimes it comes down to, in these shows... Uh, well, well, this is this is how I see it. Is sometimes it doesn't. It comes down to not whose mistake was it, because I don't think they have like instant replay, like in where they go back and look at the tape. Right. I think it's who's willing to s uh, throw the other person under the bus at the judges' table. Right. And right. Grayson didn't, uh, and uh, she suffered for it. But it, it's, this is another frustrating Top Chef thing. Is like, and I think we've we've um, talked about this a little bit. Is like sometimes the judges are they want almost contradictory things. Oh, they they abs they absolutely do, and. And then it becomes like something out of like uh, boot camp where it's a Kobayashi Maru where the whole point of this and, and we, t we talk about this so often that you can go, you know, we'll put in show notes, but you, Kobayashi Maru, Maru is a challenge in Star Trek, the various Star Trek properties that not to spoil it, but to spoil it. Um, it it's a it's a test they give you at Starfleet Academy where it seems like it's a leadership test to see how you would handle a difficult situation. What they don't know going into that test is it's not about how well you will make a decision is to see how you respond in, an, in a literally impossible situation. No matter what happens in Kobayashi Maru, unless you're treated, you will die and your crew will be lost. And so, it's, but it's to me that that's such a powerful analogy for things like this. Right. Because you know, well, you know what what was Grayson's undoing? If she had given the right answer, right when at the at the chef's table and hadn't sound like the petulant, unhappy person that she kind of is, like she might have been okay. 
It's just that she she you know she stuck her hand in the mouth of the big dinosaur and then they threw her off. It, I completely agree. And she was she kind of made the mistake of saying, well, we evaluated the ingredient and we felt like the integrity of the ingredient was not there and we could make it better by cooking it. And she said she said something like we thought it would be OK, which is, you know, that's that's a famously that's the kind of thing they don't want to hear. Right. It's like, well, we thought we'd just wind up in the middle if we did this. But I think it was almost it was even in this episode's Last Chance Kitchen where the t- Tom dinged some someone for the exact opposite thing where he's like. Uh, he's like this. The integrity of this ingredient wasn't very good. Why didn't you cook it? Right, right. So it's like it, you can't win. It's like the only. It's like yeah, the Kobayashi Maru. The only way to win is you have to put the ice in between the Klingon ship and the civilian freighter. That's the only way, right? And then you need an apple. Um. So uh, I don't know. Was there any? Was there any other? I nothing. I can't say that almost any of the rest of this episode stood out to me. I was almost. Yeah. I was. I was frustrated watching it. I, guess. I mean, you know, uh, there's okay. So um, as usual, I, I don't remember very much about what happened. I'll tell you some things that struck me. One thing. So just to clarify, what happened with uh, what's handsome single dad? Is that Jeremy? Jeremy had a neat idea that they heavily highlighted and then re-highlighted and then really put a put a button on, which is that Jeremy's idea was two teams were making ceviche. Uh, so Kwame was making ceviche. I don't know if I'm saying that right. And uh, Jeremy was. And Jeremy had this thought technology of, okay, let's take a bowl, these little crummy plastic bowls, put some ice in it, and then put the bowl that has the ceviche on top of the ice. Not the most incredibly novel idea in the world, but brilliant. And they noticed that, and they thought it was great. So, I mean, all right, here, cleverness for, like, adapting. But the other thing, did you notice in several cases, and so the way this worked is that there were two teams of golfers that would go through and I, Wesley did this, a couple other people did this, where there was a remark somebody made when the first group of people came through, and then they would make an adjustment to fix it for the second group that came through. Right. And that was, it was, you know, it wasn't overplayed. It was a little subtle, but I think that's, I, th- I thought that was a nice touch and very smart, you know? And Wesley realized, okay, I shouldn't cook my grapes. That's a bad idea. I will chill them. Yeah. I also love um, the that whole sequence where um, uh, Philip, Scarecrow, I love when Scarecrow's bowls were blowing away, so he started plating like a little puppet show under his cart, and all the judges are just uh, laughing over him. I mean, that's almost the version of the of the ice cube hack gone horribly awry, where it's just like there's nothing uh, sort of subtly clever about it. It's just such a like a look at me, I'm doing this this uh, performative clever thing. And it get, but it gets to the silliness of a challenge like this, which is to use a single word. It is contrived. It's one thing to say, okay, here's Survivor. Like, Survivor, for whatever, it's a very interesting in the design of it, which is that you go to this place and you have to figure out how to survive. Like, you have to figure out how to get food and earn things and all that kind of stuff. The original, like, big reality show. But in this case, every single bit of this is made up. It just does not have to be on a golf course. <laughs> this does not have to be on a windy day. It does not have to be with these crappy little ovens that obviously blow out. It's just that, you know, that then now it really is more like spinning a big wheel to see who screws up the least. I guess that's it, is that I guess that's why these challenges, th- th- this sort of category of challenge, it just rubs me the wrong way, is like I don't want to be reminded of the artifice of it, like or at least I want it to be hidden a little bit better from, from me because it makes me, it can, it makes me, I don't want to feel like a sap like investing in this show. Like I really, I really come to care about these people as the season goes on and like I want to feel like, um, you know, the talent will rise to the top and I get to, and I get to learn something from watching it. And, um, I don't like to be remind, you know, I don't like it to be so, so like aggressively in my face, um, that it's basically, you know, no different than, uh, um, MasterChef Junior or whatever. And the, and the, the amount of like editing and game design that goes into it to, to, like you said, to like contrive these situations. 
Right, right. And then, of course, there's all, you know, for people who are fans of this series, you know, there's also other kinds of things that are like, you know, kind of a dog whistle, like having to do any kind of a dessert. Like if you've got somebody on the show who is a baker, boy, that person always is going to do the dessert if you can choose. It's just it's kind of a famous undoing on this show is having to do a dessert. And imagine having to do a dessert in a desert on a golf course from a golf cart. Um, well, let me throw. I have a. I had a, a possible quick uh, uh, conversation piece uh, I highlighted here. So this is another one from the show notes. Uh, what is the importance of staying cool under pressure, IRL? Because this is uh, this is a little bit of a metaphor in this episode of like staying cool under pressure. Like the chefs, like literally trying to keep their food cold, but also um, I definitely think you're starting to see the the stress on the contestants at this point in the season, especially like with the with the travel schedule they have. And I was wondering what you what you make of that. Like, do you do you get do you take anything away from watching people work under pressure on Top Chef? Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's it's interesting to uh, contrast this with Top Chef Masters, where you're seeing people who are who have been doing what they do for a very 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 long time. And even if things well, they rarely go completely awry. But even when things go poorly, they have like a fun like collegial sense of humor about it. Because maybe because they don't have there's not that much stake they're playing for charity or whatever but I think there's something you see there's something you see in people um, that I would say maybe is at its worst in puberty and maybe is at its best if you stay with what you do long enough to be to be confident and comfortable with what you do and what is it that happens in puberty in puberty you're pretty sure anything that happens to you is the end of the world right no matter what happens to you any slight nick or cut could be the end of the world. And then at the other end of the continuum are people who go, oh, you know, I've, I've had worse than this. You know, <laughs> as John's mom said, you've had worse months than this. Um, that's, I, and I think that's what you see here is that especially if you're younger and a little bit high strong, understandably, we all are, then it is, it is difficult to keep your cool because you're not sure what cool to keep. Like if you had this one idea, here, top dress, anywhere, if you had this one idea for something and that is clearly not possible to do now, or if you just totally ate the booger, like if you dropped all your stuff on the ground, like what are you going to do? And the thing is, nothing is served by freaking out. Very rarely is freaking out useful. It, it Certainly in terms of sort of like how people look at you and how you handle things. But, you know, it's, I don't know. I mean, and there's no one tip. There's no life hack to give people on how to get good at this, except to say that, like, if you look at the people who succeed and have longevity in their career, they've developed a certain lightness about what they do that lets them recover more quickly to not have to go take a nap and lick their wounds for, wounds for half an hour. What, what, what do you think? Well, that's uh, this is something I'm I'm like acutely uh, aware of in my life. Like I have I'm responsible for people like I have employees who work for me and we're a young company like everyone who works, um, you know, for for cards is pretty young. And like I can I mean, so I so a it's very apparent to me when we're like, let's say we're at a convention or public event and something goes wrong and I can see people lose their minds. And I'm like, what could be served by this? Like, why? What is being why would being upset? how does that contribute to the solution right or like people will literally will go running or something and i'm like that that is right like like fight or fight or flight right yeah yeah i mean but but literally like i mean i've seen i mean this is you know it's like it, but but you know so it's a little bit of like i i'm i'm trying to learn um i would say it's a little bit of how you described it of like the martian thinking of like here's the amount of potatoes i have and here's my options and here's what i can do and the math is the math right it's like here's what's in front of me and what can i do well one of the things i can do is control my own reaction to it so that's one uh, piece of it for me. And the other piece is um, something, um, you know, I, I definitely have been um, 
uh, exposed to, uh, I credit uh, with uh, back to work with uh, helping me, you know, uh, learn about this, which is uh, a kind of a Buddhist perspective. Of yeah, that's exactly what I was just thinking. Yeah. Just like it's, it's. I don't know. It's like uh, so. It's uh, so. I have a, a, a meditation practice that's helped. That's been. I mean, I think it's been enormously helpful in my life. And uh, I don't know. There's just something about being able to like put your feet on the ground and and be like, well, here's here's what matters, and here's what I can control, and you know, here's what I can't control. That uh, I don't know. It's very liberating. But I the the uh, and the, f- the final the final thing I'll I'll throw out. Are you have you been watching the uh, wonderful uh, Going Deep with David Reese mm-hmm. show? Yeah, it's a great did show. Did you see the How to Take a Nap episode? <laughs> so I loved this. There was he had this conversation uh, in this pr- in in that program with uh, John Hodgman. Right, that was a great John, conversation. He asked, <laughs> how, he asked John Hodgman, "How do you know when it's time to take a nap?" And Hodgman was like, "Well, this is when your inner baby starts kicking and screaming, and you get mad for no reason." And I'm like, I totally recognize that in myself where I have a day where I'm just like lashing out at people I'm like mad about things that I know that I shouldn't be mad at hey you just you just need to hit reset yeah and I'm and uh, so this is my new thing is I'm gonna in addition to to the other things I find that help me um, you know like like today was a was an extremely uh, uh, stressful day for me and uh, I did not take a nap but I was I had the I, I was thinking about that David Reese episode and I was like I need to walk away for a few minutes and just go sit and and collect myself and I found that very helpful well, you're, yeah, I mean, yes, I, I, yeah, it's, I, I don't mean to make this about Buddhism because it's kind of, it's not exactly about Buddhism, but it is about a certain kind of awareness of your own ego um, in, in, in a certain sense of that word. And if you think about it, um, you know, whether that's the ego saying like, well, I'm going to feel like a weak person if I take a nap, or it's the ego, like the, what we're really talking about though is the ego in this case of my self-esteem and sense of self-worth is heavily invested in this thing that I made. This is something that's true for all kinds of people, but especially true for people who are in a creative endeavor, where that song is you, or that game is you, or this convention is you, and that feels like a blow to your body and soul's integrity if it's not going to work out the way that you wanted. Because now, but you know, again, this is again back to an old title of a Back to Work episode, that's the second arrow. Like the first arrow is the arrow that hits you and wounds you. The second arrow is you twisting that around for the rest of your life. It's that, it's that, and that's what I suffer from is, like I said last week, you know, living inside my own head with this kind of negative self-talk where it's like, well, you know, it's just, it's just a, it's a fucking dish on a TV show. Like make it, do it the best you can, but don't let it take a piece of you away. Don't allow yourself to be the one who takes that piece of you away. And again, I keep coming back to that term lightness. I'm not saying you should be silly, uh, but I am saying like you have to, it's almost like, Think about it in martial arts needing to be balanced so that you can move in any direction that you need to. If you're too dug in on any one position and you feel like your ego depends <clears throat> depends on it, you're actually incredibly off balance now and you're very vulnerable. And when you're vulnerable, you get defensive and you get mad and you get all of this stuff. So I don't have an answer to the staying cool in real life question, but I do have a way that I think is useful of posing it, which is just realize that you're probably not going to die, right? The world is not going to eat you. This thing will suck and it will be bad, but there is almost never an instance where freaking out is going to make it better. And and try to locate the part in the problem that involves your ego. Try to set that aside, hold it in your hand, kind of turn it around, look at it from different sides in a mindful way. And you may find a solution uh, that, that was right in front of you the whole time and you never realize it. What's the real reason that we're here at the convention? Well, if the booth is screwed up, we're still going to find a way to go out. We'll do something on the street. We'll go through an event at this bar. Whatever it is, come up with something that allows you to like, do the thing. Like, Why are you actually there? And just because it didn't go perfectly doesn't mean it can't go. 
I, I think that's I think that's so smart. I mean, that's that's I I can't claim to like uh, be there with my own uh, reactions yet, but it's like it's something I aspire to. And like the thing is, like when I watch Top Chef. Um, you know, things go wrong all the time. Things, go, like you said, things go wrong on Top Chef Masters, which is where you have these like you know very famous, accomplished chefs competing against each other in a more I don't know like what it's a more like respectful. It's not quite as much of a competition. It's more of like this uh, collegiate like. Uh, it is really like more like watching watching guys play golf. But like those guys, Hubert Keller. I like yeah. the guy with the long hair. I love that guy. Yeah, I just love watching that guy work because he's got a sense of humor, but he's not a dick. But and uh, yeah, and I always think of uh, David Burke, who is the like the Zen master i think i'm I'm pretty sure is that no no maybe i'm not thinking of that who is the guy he was also on top chef duels okay now we gotta i gotta figure this yep. out google 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 here we go here we go to the google now who is curtis stone that's a judge yeah i think it's david burke is like the zen yeah but so anyhow just to finish my thought from uh three hours ago yeah the, uh the you know the thing is when you watch the top chef masters people and the top chef people things go wrong for everyone all the time in the kitchen and the top chef people they're cursing and they punch a wall and they lose their minds oh and dale it's, fucking it's, dale man it's very it kind of freaks you out and it's embarrassing like i always get the like mirror neuron thing where i'm like i feel their embarrassment and and their loss of control right and right. the masters people when things go wrong they like like you said they laugh at it like david burke um is like my favorite guy and he's just like wow that was horrible like that was a disaster guess i gotta figure something out next and it's so endearing like i i really wish that uh you know i i hope that someday i get to that that uh, i don't know i have that that level of like um self-actualization where something goes wrong and my first thing yeah. is not to worry about my my the like my ego but it's like you know, well, what can you do? Like, it, it fucked up. Yeah, I've, on, on Back to Work, I've called that the mean dad voice. Like, it almost feels like if you, did, if you didn't do what you thought you were supposed to do, you feel like you have to try it out the mean dad voice and yell at yourself, which doesn't actually help. I mean, peril does not help uh, a project that's not going well. Making things more perilous does not help. And it's certainly, it's not the kind of thing you learn in a week or two, but it's something where you learn over time that, like, that's, this is just the way that you, you've just got to mellow out and focus on the work. The Last Chance Kitchen, Episode Three: Surprise Ingredients. Yeah, what happened in this? Oh God, yes. This was oh, man, this, this was rough. my favorite uh, Top Chef contestant, uh, Francis. Nope, that was the Asian lady. Wait a minute. This is uh, what it was. Uh, Grace wasn't it? Grayson versus uh, what's his head? Garrett. Garrett. Thank you. This is my guy, Garrett, and he is a uh, battling Grayson. And they're given, hang on, I'm scrubbing and I'm scrubbing. They do kind of a chopped thing here. You got a bunch of boxes. That's right. And Grayson holds up a box and shakes it around and goes, I hope there's not a coconut in here, and then opens it up. And, <laughs> and of course, it's two coconuts. Duke to do, Duke to do. <laughs> Duke to do music. Yep. Um, but uh, finally, uh, some uh, justice for Grayson. Yeah, but like they both, I'm trying to remember. I, I watched this, uh, watched this kind of uh, quickly last week. But I remember thinking, oh, they did pretty good. Like he got, was it ginkgo? Uh, she had the uh, no, that's right. He had the ginkgo nuts, and he and he thought to turn it into a flower to coat the uh, was it fish? Yes, to, and it's he fried brilliant. his fish in it. And then Grayson had that. What was it? It was some sort of upsetting bitter. No, no, no. So she had the ginkgo nuts, and that was the sort of upsetting thing. And oh, she, okay. she asked the other chefs in the audience, what are ginkgo nuts? And then Francis goes, no English. 
which was <laughs> just, just the greatest thing. No, Wesley had some sort of other crispy nut thing that he turned into the into the. Uh, okay, that was it. All right, right, right. Yeah, but uh, happy. To, I I really like Grayson, and I hope she gets some redemption. I I was really like it. Really, when she when Tom kicked her off, and then she went to shake everyone's hands, and she like wouldn't make eye contact with Tom. She like right. Oh, it was it was very touching. Like I was like this. It really you felt how painful it was for her to get cut again. So I uh, I hope to see her. Uh, stick around i'd be very happy to watch like 10 last chance kitchen episodes with her oh i think she's 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 so fun to watch and also you know god it's weird though somebody mentioned on twitter was saying if you look at the color of francis's roots in last Can- chance kitchen you can see obviously that it's later i mean the implication on the show is and obviously i don't think this is true the implication is like as soon as we're done filming this episode of top chef you go right into the next kitchen and you're going to face off to see if you can stay alive right but my gut would be that they're probably filming that what uh, just a couple weeks before the end of the season, they bring everybody back and do it in an afternoon, probably. So I have applied my entire, my full intellect to this very problem, Merlin. I have analyzed all. I of care the intensely recorded... about how these things happen. I think about things like this a lot. I do. I really have put a lot of brain power in and like gone through different seasons to try and figure this out. So here's what I think I can figure out. And also from, uh, I make a Twitter list every season for the um, chefs that are on the season who are on Twitter because it's fun to watch them react to the episodes. Oh my! Um, but uh, so here's what I can p- piece together. So the entire season is filmed at once, maybe six months ago. Let's say. Um, in fact, uh, I have I don't feel bad about uh, revealing any of this, but I emailed uh, Bravo before we did this podcast because I was like I don't really know what I had in mind, but I was like, hey, we're doing a Top Chef podcast. Maybe Bravo wants to get involved. Maybe they want to like do an ad or give us access to people or like you know, hey, it's a podcast. It could be exciting for them. Uh, it's got Merlin Mann on it. He's a big deal. Those guys over at the uh, Conversation Parade, they're working with Cartoon Network. Yeah, that's on big time. On the Adventure Time podcast. Well, you know, where's our parade? Yeah, that's big time. Where's our Literally. Conversation Parade? Yeah. Um, but uh, so I had a call with Bravo, uh, and wow. uh, they had no idea what a podcast was, and they were thoroughly <laughs> uninterested in doing anything <laughs> relating to us, which is fine. I don't mean, it was a 10-minute call or whatever. Let me see if I understand this. You make some kind of an audio product which is <laughs> available on the global internet. It was, uh, you know, it really does put things in perspective, because I had to explain it to some marketing woman and she's like so let me get this straight you just talk to each other about a tv show and people listen to that huh (laughs) (laughs) but um yeah but uh uh she did reveal that at the time that we talked they were just wrapping up filming for the next season of top chef oh oh my goodness and those people have to sit on that information for that long yeah so so here's Uh. what i think so i believe it's about six months that they do the bulk of the filming then there's a break where the chefs all, all the winning chefs go home for I don't know three four months maybe You're I, kidding. I don't know it could be weeks it could be months but it they always come back and s- their hair is always different and they oh are yeah. they look rested and sometimes they've like changed weight as well so it makes me think it could be a several months break but anyway then they come back and they usually are on location in like Hawaii or wherever they're doing the finale right and I believe the Last Chance Kitchen all gets shot uh, at the finale location. So I think they bring everyone out to Hawaii, and they do the Last Chance Kitchen all at once. And that's how they have, like, I remember in, like, Kristen Kish's season where she won, they literally walked her out of the kitchen onto the set in, you know, Guam or Vietnam or wherever they were filming, right? My gosh. Do you remember that? No, I don't, but that sounds exhausting for everyone involved. Yeah, but it's but but I think it's the way that they can guarantee that that there won't be any leaks and they get everyone in the same place. 
Also, just, I mean, like, you know, I mean, this comes up so much when we talk about Apple stuff. It's like everybody assumes that, you know, Apple, you know, is obviously a pretty successful company. And they assume that there's like millions of people working on this particular app, you know, which is not not the case. There are people, there's like apparently one guy that does terminal and the Wi-Fi diagnostic and all this stuff. And ditto here, they don't have unlimited budget. I mean, go go listen to like uh, Joss Whedon on the commentary track for the Avengers. And basically it's two and a half hours of him talking about what he couldn't afford to shoot. I just think when people watch a show like this, they might be amazed to know the size of the crew that's actually working on this. Uh, one interesting thing that we should probably uh, put into show notes, he said, typing to find the thing he's talking about, is uh, a listener, I think you, you uh, favorited this also. Somebody sent us a link to a podcast called... Oh, I, I, uh, it's already been uh, huffed. I huffed it, oh. I, I huffed it, I duffed it, I blew it down. Oh, hmm, nice. Yeah. Uh, and it's basically, it's an interview from something, it's the Yum Malicious program. It's Nom Nom Nominee. It's some show about food. And they talked to, um, what's her head? Not Nina Garcia. <laughs> what's the name of that woman? Gail. They talked <laughs> to Gail about uh, the t 10 years of Top Chef and what it means, how it's changed cooking and the whole idea of like, you know, new idea of celebrity chefs. And I listened to uh, about half of it, as usual. And uh, it was pretty interesting. It's interesting to hear her point of view outside of, and to hear her talk about, no spoilers, but behind the scenes stuff about like how they started the show. They didn't know what a judge should be like, what they should do. Are you supposed to act like Simon Cowell? How are you supposed to act? And then how funny it is to watch yourself edit it, to watch how they edit, just like with the contestants, to make you like this certain kind of character. But well, that'll be in show notes for folks who want to listen to that. I'm looking at pictures of Richard Blaze. <laughs> He's a handsome man. Now, which which version of Richard Blaze are you looking at pictures of? Oh, I, I just put one in here. Look at that one. That's an old one. I'm loving the new look. I really am. I think he looks terrific. Richard Blaze. I know. I I see in the show notes here. You wrote uh, Richard Blaze. Is it the the many looks? Man of many looks. Mm -hmm. He is. He he seems to be. Uh, uh, I think of that. Um, there was that uh, great. Roderick on the line where John was like going through what people wear and he's like sometimes he just squints his eyes at someone and he's like I wonder what that person is repping <laughs> what is what is the uniform of the day what clothes are speaking to me what's well, it's it's a couple things his um his whole uh morphology has changed a lot Did you see the picture in show notes look at the bottom that's uh that's that's really he's he's uh <laughs> lost a lot of weight wow well, yeah. Was this a version of Richard Blaze that was on television? Well, I think that might I think that might be before. He kind of looks like somebody that would be kicked out of Scouts. Um, <laughs> yeah. He's he's got a at this point he's, going on there. He's free faux hawk. He's got a lot of gel, and uh, and he's a, he's a lot bigger. That is then he true. Got, he got the faux hawk. I think we best we got to know Richard with the faux hawk. Yeah, he's he's definitely a guy that seems to have a pretty aggressive style whenever he's on the show, and I can't quite pin it down. I don't know what I would describe it as. I don't like these. Uh, I don't like this trend of eyeglasses in uh, colors. I don't like red 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 glasses. That uh, they got the white glasses on MasterChef. That's got to stop. Mm -hmm. Well, Graham, Graham, uh, are you talking about Graham uh, on the yeah. MasterChef Junior? Uh, you know, yeah, no, he's uh, he might be on Junior. I think he's on MasterChef Prime also. Okay, I, I'm only familiar with his work with the uh, on the children's cooking show. <laughs> right. We have so we haven't gotten it well, real quick. So you so Ellie doesn't like the MasterChef Junior. No, she does not. She's put off by reality shows involving children, and uh, I think it might make her nervous. That's very interesting. I uh, have almost no interaction with children in my life, and I find this show to be the almost like the 
the perfect slurry of entertainment. It's just like there's like there's nothing good about it. There's nothing bad about it. It just goes down easy. And it's like I've never um, I've never tried opium, but I imagine that if I did, it would be a lot like watching um, MasterChef Junior. In that I'm just sort of like find myself an hour later, just sort of slumped back in the chair. An hour's gone by. I don't really know what happened, and I'm just like I feel great. Nothing hurts. 